0: This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts.
1: Hello, and welcome to Body Count, a history podcast where we gab about death and disaster through the ages, highlighting figures, single events, time periods, whatever it may be that resulted in someone, or as is usually the case, a lot of someone's dying. I'm your host, Jessica Manner, joined as always, by and again, I never know what to call you when I Hostess, do these things.
2: Twinkie, post
1: Twinkie, joined by my Twinkie.
2: <laughs> Sorry, Karadimausio, and I had to make a joke because my God, Jessica, that sounded like legitimately the most morose I've like ever heard you. Um, I don't know <laughs> how else to describe that. So I'm I'm here bringing the zest, so to speak, into this very depressing episode um and we
1: (laughs) professional all the way (laughs) that's what people say (laughs) that lemon zest zest.
2: (laughs) I thought it was clever damn it it was (laughs) (laughs) I was actually thinking like bring um... that
0: pip bring that zest (laughs)
1: <laughs> You're like the most delicious Mediterranean salad I've had this week. <laughs> you are the peppercini in my brain right now.
2: Can you just call me a peppercini each time? I'd be okay with that. <laughs> I'm just gonna
1: say this is my peppercini.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh it's it's done now. <laughs> it's done that being said we are joined by a guest that i am just blown away again as always i'm going to let him introduce himself by the amount of work he has done for us and it's the thing I'm that i am truly most excited him. about putting out
2: i was going to say jessica i think he's like seriously brought it and i respect all guests but go how to go home, thomas <laughs> brought it like I mean, the cohesive narrative, like, he's going to have us crying, he's going to have us, like, in Titanic mode, or we're going to be jumping ship, and then we were listening to Titanic... Let me tell you, I learned there's a globally in a Titanic connection recently. Is there? there is, in fact. So, the captain of the Carpathia, um, mm. so what uh, the ship that actually rescued the Titanic survivors in the search and rescue, actually would uh, be a participant in the Gallipoli campaign, Arthur Rostron.
0: Uh, yeah, that actually, now that you say that, that does slightly ring a bell.
2: Um, so I was kind of like, well, that's a weird, like, crossover yeah. that we discovered when talking with the outlandish historians. We were like, so everything's going to be on this whiteboard and we're going to link it together. That just happened <laughs> to easily come together. My By the sorry. end of this, I'm
1: going to have a weird conspiracy
2: theory board. But
1: I have to say... Of all our guests, and I have loved all of our guests. Thomas has gone the hardest in the paint. He came with it. He saw he it. Came, He's he conquered saw, it.
2: He came deep into history.
0: Oh no! Don't no! no. Don't
1: no. <laughs> <laughs> You <laughs> little pepper <laughs> That being said, Thomas. God damn! This is a horrendous start, <laughs> Thomas. <laughs> tell us, uh. What you do, where you're at. Oh, um,
0: yeah, so Kjelda, my name is Thomas. Um, this will probably be, the, I think it's the fourth or the fifth now in the series. So for all of you at home, you've probably listened to these more or less back to back at this point. So you probably hopefully already know who I am. But for us, it's been two weeks. Um, so <laughs> if you don't know who I am by this point, um, I do the history, oh, I'm the bloke behind the history of old New Zealand podcast. So I do the 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 same thing most other people do. I pick a country, and then uh, I, I am gonna talk about it all about its history and that kind of stuff. Um, and i just I just chose the one that I live in, which is New Zealand. so um, so yes, yeah, so that's who I am, and that's what I do. Uh, and of course, this is now the, yeah, as I said, the fifth, I think it is. Uh, episode on Gallipoli which is a pretty major campaign in the New Zealand um, kind of story of World War One um, and kind of is very important in the uh, kind of overarching story of New Zealand and kind of how the modern New Zealand country, state uh, general psyche kind of develops um, so so yeah, so it's, um, it's a very important story um, which is why I've Try, try to try to do it justice by doing way too much research. Um,
1: so nonsense. I won't parliament. hear it. It's been yeah. amazing.
2: Mr. Thomas went to parliament too recently.
1: I, I did. Yes.
0: Just to date the episode. Yeah. Well, that was two weeks ago now was, um, I went to parliament to talk to, uh, the clerk of the house, um, about an interesting and kind of weird part of New Zealand history, which is the biscuit tin. Um, so, without getting too deep into it, uh, the way that New Zealand works is, if you want to introduce a bill to Parliament, one of the ways that you can do that, if you aren't in government, is you put forward a members' bill, and members' bills are chosen by by ballot, right? You, it's basically like like lottery. You, you you pull a number out of out of a hat, or in our case, a biscuit tin, and you go, yep, sweet, that's that's the one we're going to talk about now. Um, so there's this biscuit tin that is kind of like a little bit kind of famous in New Zealand politics. Um, And this is the only thing that it's used for is is pulling members' bills out. And it's kind of got the story behind it and that sort of thing. So I went to go talk to uh, the clerk of the house um, about what that was and how that process works and and all that kind of stuff, which was very cool. Um, Very excited that uh, an actual important person let me into his office uh, (laughs) to talk about something.
2: (laughs) I just like the idea that you showed up like a beach boy and wanted to know more
0: yeah it kind of was like that it was pretty funny i made a bit of a fool of myself in front of parliamentary security uh so that was pretty funny didn't really know what i was doing was extremely nervous um they
2: were like oh shit he's he's a problem
0: yeah well they i went up and they go oh so who are you here to see and i was like oh this lady from uh from i guess she's from your social media team because i've been talking to her on twitter and they're like oh okay the lady like comes over and she like explains it like oh here's what he's doing and all this stuff and and then they're like oh so you must be emma then i'm like oh fuck yeah like i guess they don't know who all the people are whatever (laughs) so (laughs) yeah kind of made a bit of a made a bit of a fool myself in front of parliamentary security but they were very nice so that was fine um but yeah that was quite cool um walking around a very big very old building um Still need to go find uh, the pen, actually. I want to go do the um, parliamentary tour because there's a pen in a in a glass case somewhere. Um, that's the pen that the New Zealand Prime Minister used to sign the Treaty of Versailles, which is, um, yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> really cool, Which is, like, pretty cool. Um, I, I t- I've told a few people about that, actually, and it's really funny when you talk to people because it's like, you talk to people like you guys and they go, wow, that's, like that's really cool. And then I told like my brother, who is not a history guy, and he uh, goes, so. it's a fucking tent. Like, who cares? <laughs> I'm like, "Oh <"Well>, yeah, but... <laughs> it's so, yeah, stuff. and the biscuit tin was kind of the same. It's kind of just a biscuit tin. But the, the biscuit tin's allure kind of comes from the fact that it is just kind of an everyday household object and kind of has this really important job. And so it's kind of... It's really exciting, yet extremely boring at the same time um it's a
2: cookie jar
0: yeah which i found really fascinating um so yeah they actually got it out for me and because it normally sits in this like glass case so they actually i got into this guy's office and it was just sitting on his desk and i was like oh you know so yeah so yeah i ran off with it oh yeah i didn't touch it actually i i actually was a bit concerned i had that you know like when they say like with museums and stuff like you know don't touch stuff had a bit of that going on you know being like don't don't touch the
2: because you're like what if an alarm had set off kind of shit yeah
0: (laughs) yeah but it was really funny he just picks it up and opens it and it's just he's just like yeah it's just a it's just a it's just a bit of metal basically um (laughs) this is quite funny so yeah it was just kind of like why because i asked him like why did you pick it and he goes well you know we um you know it probably he because he wasn't around when it was when it was uh, when it was bought he was like yeah you pro- we probably just needed something that was kind of deep and you could pick something out and you couldn't see into it and biscuit tin probably was the 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 thing so yeah so that was pretty cool um I was very I was very happy about that. Um they're very nice people, so hopefully I can go back down there at some point. Um to talk about other stuff, like how the New Zealand Parliament building is never finished, and then they just slap this other dumbass building next to it instead. And <laughs> all sorts of other things. Well,
2: so, that means New yeah. Zealand is like the rest of the world in that regard.
0: Yeah. So um yeah, our parliamentary buildings are really dumb. It's really weird. Um, to be fair though part of the reason why they are really dumb is because of this event um is because i believe the building was being built at the time that world war one kicked off and then they stopped building it because of course they were trying to concentrate on something else um so yeah so anyway gallipoli (laughs) does anyone remember where we got up to
1: We were up to, uh, we had gone to another island, uh, we'd had rest, I believe, for the first time in something like two straight months of just pure shit, (laughs) we were getting ready for... Another campaign of pure fucking shit. <laughs>
0: yeah. So last time, um, Malone and the Wellington battalion went to uh, Cape Hellas, which is just south of um, where kind of Gallipoli and Anzac Cove and all that is. Um, so they went down there, did a bunch of stuff, and then came back. Um, and yeah, and they got some, Malone got some rest time, and then they went to uh, Courtney's and Quinn's posts. Um, so they did those up, and you know, did this whole sanitation thing again, and that kind of stuff. <laughs> and and then after the, at the end of their time at Quinn's, which was about, I believe, it was about two months, if I remember correctly, off the top of my head, um, they that this kind of plan was being thought up of how they can break the stalemate in Gallipoli because it was a, at, a, at this point it was a stalemate. Um and the, the Allied commanders were kind of figuring that out. They they started gradually figuring that out at this point. Um and so I left it on a bit of a cliffhanger last time by saying the Battle of Sari Bear was about to begin, which is what we're gonna talk about today, or at least we're gonna we're gonna start it today. We may not get it finished today.
1: Yes.
0: Um, so yes. I do want to get slightly serious, uh, just for a very brief second, in that uh if you are listening to this um and you are Uh, easily distressed or in other way easily disturbed or anything like that um, this will be some distressing content in this Um, I like to think that I'm a reasonably kind of stoic and kind (laughs) of tough kind of guy this genuinely disturbed me so um, just a bit of I guess a trigger warning if you want to call it that this could be some very distressing content for the next one to two episodes Um,
2: oh
1: Uh Uh... it's gonna be it's gonna be rough (laughs) oh great
0: listen to this all of these back to back uh, i'm pretty sure the theme that you've gotten at this point has me constantly been going oh but wait it's gonna get worse this is the worst this is the bit that i have been referring to this entire time this is the awful bit this is where shit gets fucking real and that's saying something considering wait a minute wait a minute
1: yeah, I was going to say, we've already come to hand-to-hand combat, like combat, killing each other with rocks, so it gets worse.
0: This is, this is the climax of, of oh. the Gullible campaign, yeah.
1: What have so, you done to me taking me on this journey, Thomas? Yeah, <laughs> I'm a tough person to scar, but here we go. Yeah. There oh. we go.
0: As so mentioned, by the end of June, it had become clear to the Allied commanders that Gallipoli was now in a bit of a stalemate. Uh, Birdwood, who, if we remember, was the leader of the New Zealands, uh, had now re-put forth the idea for an offensive that would involve capturing the Sari Bear range, which was a big range of um, hills and things. Which would cut off Turkish communications and have Allied troops sweep across the peninsula, securing the Dardanelles and finally allowing the Navy to sail up the Sea of Marama, uh, Marmara, 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 yep, uh, to threaten Istanbul, uh, ha- as had been the intention in the first place. If you remember, the, the the whole idea of this campaign was to secure the Dardanelles and allow the Navy, um, as well as the Army, to rock on up to Istanbul. Um, and threaten it, uh, so that, in theory, they could knock out the Ottoman Empire. Um, As we've mentioned in previous episodes, there was no indication to believe, or there was no reason to believe, uh, that knocking or capturing Istanbul would knock the Ottomans out of the war and that they would surrender, but that's what they thought would happen. So that's what they were trying to do. So the New Zealand Infantry Brigade's part in the offensive would be to head north around the 6th of August to capture Chunuk Beer, Hill Q, and Hill 971, which were all part of the Sari Beer range. They would then attack south again to capture Battleship Hill and Baby 700. The Aussies would also be in support, attacking Baby 700 and the Chessboard. Um, Attacks would also be made at Lone Pine and Quinn's Post further to the south as well as Hellas, with the intention of drawing some of the enemy away from the main assault. So this would effectively be a pincer move to push the Ottomans off the ridges, and then off the peninsula. Um, so for anyone who can't really follow what I just said, um, I do have a very nice infographic thing, which I will post to you guys on. Uh oh, it's a PDF! Please hold.
2: <laughs> Thomas's customer service voice. has. <laughs> um,
0: so that uh, map that I've just sent you um, kind of shows you a vague idea of where we're looking. Um, so to kind of give you that reference, uh, Chunk Beer is uh, kind of at the middle, kind of lower middle, uh, where that red line is, all those red arrows are. Mm-hmm. If you can follow that, if you guys have got it up, um, yeah. and that's where we're gonna, that's where we're gonna follow. We're gonna follow the red line or the red arrows. Um, okay. So that's where we're kind of gonna go. But just to give you an idea of what kind of what everything else was happening, um, this kind of gets split into two separate kind of columns, is what they call them. Uh, the left column and the right column. The left column is that kind of purple line that starts with number three Um, and the right column is kind of made up of like one and two um with them attacking uh things like tabletop and uh uh that kind of area um as well as areas um down the south so you can kind of see the idea of what they were trying to do was they were going to go up this valley um past tabletop and uh the apex which was along spur. They were going to then attack Chunuk Bear, capture it, and then sweep down Battleship Hill uh, and Baby 700, um, which would be also being attacked by, I believe it was the Australians, um, yes, the Australians, um, who would be um, attacking from the other side, um, trying to support that. So that was the basic idea that they were trying to do. So the idea was that we're basically going to have a bunch of guys all come up at various points, sweep along the whole ridge itself, and then that would push them off or push the Ottomans off, if that makes sense. It's quite complicated. (laughs) but
1: Not so much that, because this just has a massive potential to go horribly wrong. Exactly. So
0: they expected to face 100,000 Ottoman troops in total, uh, 27,000 of which would be against the Anzacs, and 37,000 of which would be in reserve. Uh, Recon suggested that although the trench fighting would be tough, Uh, jacko's morale was wavering and ammo was low we've seen this before and we know how that goes so
1: (coughs) yeah yeah Yeah.
0: and for for ataturk's part who was the you know kind of commander of the opposite side he actually knew that this this attack was coming or he knew an attack was coming he just didn't know where from he thought the anzacs would attack up the undefended valleys to the north of sari beer and attack from that direction which actually is basically what they were planning to do and is what they ended up doing, Um, was basically going up these valleys to hit the actual Sari Bia range. So the idea would be that a couple of covering forces consisting of a mounted brigade, some British troops, and the Maori contingent would capture positions in the foothills to allow the two infantry columns to head up the valleys in relative safety to the main ridge. So again, that's that left and that right column. So these two columns would attack from two different directions. The right column would be made up of the NZIB under Johnston and would attack Chunuk Bear. And the brigade would also be uh, split in two with the Wellingtons and Otagos heading up a valley called Chilac Deer. I think I've pronounced that correctly. Um, and the Canterbury's would head up Sulzi Deer, the same valley Atatauk predicted they would, the attack would come from. So he, was actually, he had actually fortified that position quite a lot. The left column would be made up of the 29th Indian Brigade and the 4th Australian Brigade. Um, so yeah, you've got those two columns and the, there's kind of a two smaller columns within the right. So that's, that's where we're going to kind of focus on a bit more. For perhaps the first time, uh, we find that Malone feels the Wellingtons are actually not fit for the task. Um, he comments that his men are basically overworked and have already had... Uh, to carry much stress and strain that this new heavy load uh, would be too much for them. He really just thought that they were just, they'd been really just hammered too much, or or, or already so far, and that this was just going to tip them over the edge. He adds that this would involve a night operation in rough country, something that they had not trained for, saying, quote, we shall possibly mistake the Maoris for Turks, and the confusion in the dark will be terrible, end quote. Um, which is, yeah, a little bit racist. Um, yep. But
1: <laughs> yep. Well, there he is. Good. And okay. Yeah, there it is. Being himself. There it is. Yep.
0: So Malone's concerns... <laughs> but the kind of thing about this was, well, not that particular comment, but in general, Malone's concerns were not necessarily unfounded. The Canterbury's and mm-hmm. Otago's had been given a brief rest on Lemnos, whereas the Wellingtons would go pretty much from Quinn's post into the trenches for this offensive. Uh, and if you remember from last time, they were quite thoroughly hammered at Quinn's just trying to fortify the position um, right. as well as defend it as well. So Malone ideally wanted them to have a long rest, like the British 29th Division had also been given. And not only that, the NZIB's initial strength of 4,000 men. Uh, was now down to about 2,800 from a combination of disease, dysentery, and being smashed at the landings and Hellas, as well as being overworked at Courtney's and Quinn's. So they'd lost nearly half of their men in the entire brigade already. God. Um, The Wellingtons in particular had uh, terrible food, a lack of water, heavy workload, and basically had seen non-stop action um, since the landings. And now they would be involved in the last big offensive in Gallipoli without the opportunity to lie down and have a cuppa, um, which is pretty rough. God. Yeah. These poor enough, guys, they got hit yeah, hard. They've been, yeah, the Wellingtons in particular have, have had it really bad. Um, and interestingly enough, Birdwood agreed with Malone in that the NZIB should be rested saying that they had been, quote, much knocked about, end quote. Johnston, however, disagreed, uh, and insisted the brigade be used for what would become the toughest part of the battle. So, there's that. Um, Malone chastised Johnston in his diary for not knowing the weakness in his men. And Malone also thought that uh, Johnston's preparations for the attack were not good enough, mostly because Johnston thought the whole thing would be a walk in the park, apparently saying it would be like, quote, kissing one's hand, end quote. And claiming that there should, should there be any issues, he would ride up and get right in there himself. And that, to me, sounds like a guy that has not been paying attention for the last, like, three months they've been there.
1: Yeah, I was <laughs> no. going to say, that's a good three months of having your head firmly planted up your ass, is what that sounds like to me.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like he sounds like he hasn't really been uh kind of yeah, concentrating or even like knowing what's going on right now.
1: Also, probably is uh, quite clearly has not learned a single thing about Malone because if he says, "I don't know." It's an I don't know, okay? Like yeah. I just like it's a fucking toss up. I don't think they're ready, but whatever.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And Malone uh, wrote of this as well, saying quote, if it were not so serious it would be laughable. So far as I'm concerned uh, so as, so far as I am concerned the men, my brave, gallant men, shall have the best fighting chance I can give them, or that can be got. No airy plunging and disregard for the rules and chances. End quote. So even there, Malone is implying that he will disregard orders if he thinks they're bad Because he he wants to make sure his men come out the other side, basically.
1: Malone, this guy, like, says something slightly racist that I go, "Eh, I don't love, but also turn around. But also, like, I'm going to tell this guy basically to fuck off if it comes between, like, my guy's surviving. I just don't give a shit. Like, call me up later. He's just an up and down with this guy. Yeah, it's a real roller coaster. Yeah. It is a real emotional He's the one that's
2: coaster. been practicing at home. Like, sit, like freaking sleeping in a bunk. Yeah. All, like, I mean, he was ready for this, in theory. Again, yeah. in, theory. in theory. I'm also
1: yeah. shocked to see there's something that he hadn't at least trained for a little bit. Like rough country at night. I figured that would have been yes. tick number one.
0: Mm, yeah, definitely. But yeah, I guess they, they never got round to that bit or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, yeah. And as kind of all of this was occurring, the preparations for the battle, which is also known as the August Offensive. So if anyone is like, Battle of Saribara, I don't know what the fuck that is. It's also called the August Offensive, which you may have heard it been called that as well. So as the preparation for the battle... um were kind of getting into full, well, they were getting into full swing. 30,000 troops had been brought on shore at night and hidden in ravines. Uh, Huge dumps of ammo, food, and other supplies uh, were also made. And on the 3rd of August, Birdwood and Godley set out their instructions. All ranks were to wear white armlets and white patches on their backs so that friendlies could be identified. Uh, All men were to carry semaphore flags to show the position of the units to the Navy, artillery, and other troops. Uh, Bayonets fixed, but rifles not loaded. Uh, Wounded were not to be evacuated when it was dark until the columns had gone past. All movement was to be silent as possible. And if they came under fire as they approached their objective, they were to ignore it and move on. Snipers and the like would be dealt with by advanced parties or special units set up for that job. It was also imperative that they were accurate in their timing, as many attacks were actually timed in such a way to provide mutual support and protection. So a lot of them were trying to um, attack one hill from uh, like two different sides or trying to draw fire away. Um, So that was things like Quinn's Post. Quinn's Post wasn't really meant to act as an actual place where they thought they were going to gain ground. It was just meant to distract the Ottomans to try and funnel some of their forces from a, into a different direction to make it slightly easier for the ones that they actually thought were going to do some actual ground making. So, yeah, so the timing was very, very important. However, battalion commanders were also instructed to push onto their objectives regardless of what was going on with the other columns. Instead, they were to take as much as they could and hold that ground and make it invincible to counterattack. Which is, yeah, not great when you've literally just told them it's imperative you get to places on time and and, and that kind of stuff. Um, You know, because as we're going to see, some of of this does happen where some guys don't manage to make it to some of these key places, whilst other guys are drastically trying to push to get to their position, and it just doesn't work because they get to their position, the other side doesn't, and... The, the, the whole plane just falls apart,
2: basically. And so they're going
1: to support. get all fired Oh, my God. Yeah. This is not yeah. going to be pretty.
2: Oh, in Thomas, what this,
1: have you done to me? Okay. And if all of
0: this wasn't enough, the troops were instructed to conserve food, water, and ammo supplies uh, as or as supplies would be slow to reach them. They were expecting that this was going to be long, hard, and grueling. In some cases, water wouldn't even be able to get them, sorry, water wouldn't be able to get to them for at least 18 hours and food for 48 hours. They were expecting that their men were going to go without food or go without a resupply of food for two days. That's how long at least they were thinking that this was going to go on for. And it was expected that the first two nights would likely be pretty sleepless and that they would expect heavy fire from the Turks come daylight. However, the commanders were relying on the naval bombardment to counteract that. So they were hoping that the navy was actually just going to smash them so hard that hopefully it just kind of made things better, basically. Um, And this plan um, was not actually awful in a a general sense. If you remember, Malone actually had come up with this plan himself um, when he was in Mm -hmm. Hellas, he had more or less come up with a plan very similar to this as a way to break the stalemate in Gallipoli. So the the actual plan itself wasn't an awful idea. And it's probably the most innovative idea that any allied commander at Gallipoli had had for a while. But the problem with it was that it required a lot of coordination as well as very good navigation and timing. And that's where it's all going to fall apart.
1: Right. If you'd have been less ambitious, maybe, in how... Mm. ground was gained or perhaps chosen another spot based on this map or <laughs> yeah you know one where the enemy didn't absolutely anticipate that you were probably going to choose
0: yeah exactly and the, kind of the other part of this as well is that that whole the, this whole plan is a hard enough task on its own right. even harder when the men required to do it are weakened due to months of combat and disease you know the yeah. the NZIB in terms of pure numbers of the amount of people in it is almost half strength. You know, and, and so it's just it's like just, if yeah. you
1: struggle to go to the grocery store with Lyme disease, imagine yeah. like all the diseases you've got by this point. Like poor hygiene, mm. uh, malnourished. Like uh, you've just been fighting. You've got legit exhaustion. It's now. Go take this fucking impossible position, like. Yeah. I cannot imagine. I. Yeah. You know, I, I. I just I don't think I'm like I. I, I can't imagine. I can't yeah. imagine looking all that in the face and being like, "Well, all right, today's the day. Just fuck off, like fuck off, right? <laughs> just, <laughs> to, you, know just fuck off. you know what? Yeah. Go ahead. You know, prison is preferable. Come on.
0: Yeah. It might be a I'd plan, rather actually. be
1: shot just and get it over with instead yeah. of do it here.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so Hamilton was actually somewhat realistic about the plan, writing that the Anzacs had been asked to perform one of the most difficult military opala- operations in history, saying, quote, a night march and assault by several columns, an intricate mountainous country strongly entrenched and held by a numerous and determined enemy. End quote. So he knew potentially, or at least in part, what they were about to do. Um, Most difficult military operation in history. I don't know if that's, that might be overselling it, but he was, he was pretty fucking close. I feel. Um, Uh,
1: Yeah. Didn't miss the mark too, too much.
0: Yeah. I think an argument can probably be made for a few other operations, but uh, he's, he was not, I, I think he was, he was pretty close. So, as Malone was, of course, wont to do, uh, he wrote a letter to Ida, his wife, uh, talking about what was to come. Quote, We're in for a big move, and everything promises to go well. The attack starts tomorrow night. You will have heard all about it long before you get this. I do know all your feelings, and I, re- re- uh, I reciprocate them, but do not be sad. All will be well, and our future life together will all be all the sweeter and better for this separation. My candle is all but burnt out and we shall be soon moving. So good night, dearest one, your lover and husband, Malone. End quote. This would be Malone's last letter to his wife.
1: Oh, fuck you, Thomas. <laughs> oh, I knew that was coming. Damn it. Okay. Okay. As soon as you said, and he wrote a letter to Ida. God yeah. damn it. So Meanwhile, we're not get any I know that's happy. Either. But he'll have penned something super depressing about how he has no hope in his journal at this point, I'm sure as well. God.
2: Yeah. Oh, so,
1: okay.
0: <laughs> so on the 5th of August, the Wellington Battalion was relieved at Quinn's post and headed to a valley on the northern side of Walker's Bridge. Here they stayed hidden in the scrub all day and even were ordered not to look up in case a Turkish scouting plane flew over and they were able to see their face. That night, Johnston issued orders for what was to follow. The Otago, Wellington and Auckland battalions would move along Chalik Deer and up onto Ronodendron Ridge uh, in that order, followed by a company of engineers and the 26th 26th Indian Mountain Battery, which was an artillery uh, unit. The Otago's would secure Ronodendron and the Wellingtons would follow and fortify it. In particular, placing pickets, which are essentially sentries to warn of enemy uh, advance, uh, on a section called Cheshire Ridge, overlooking Igle Deer, which was the valley that the left column would be advancing up. So they were trying to secure um, some some basically positions to try and help uh, the other the other team, if you will. Mm -hmm. At the same time, the Canterbury Battalion would secure Salzy Deer on the southern end of Ronadendron Ridge towards Battleship Hill. The Otagos and Wellingtons would then push on and capture Channock Beer. That was the theory, that was the plan. As we will see, it all goes to shit. Um,
1: Somebody didn't make it on time, or this would be a happier story.
0: (laughs) So this was all well and good in theory, but the the start of the attacks had not gone well. The mounted brigade and the Maori contingent who had been sent to capture the foothills kind of ahead of the two main columns were delayed almost immediately by a well-defended barricade at the opening of Chilak Deer. This was only cleared after some vicious hand-to-hand combat. Again, we've got that as well.
2: Mm-mm.
0: Yep, we're, yep. Mm. The Wellington's were meant to begin marching at 11 oh sorry no I've skipped ahead a bit there small parties of Turks were then uh, then fired on the Otago's as they began advancing uh, which were creating confusion among the Otago's The Wellington's were meant to begin marching at 11 p.m but it wasn't until well after 12 a.m that they did so with Malone at their head They were additionally slowed as the terrain became steeper and more difficult, as well as the fact that they were, you know, in pitch black, pitch darkness. Yeah. And Malone started to get a bit antsy as he knew that as soon as daylight hit their element of surprise was gone. That's probably the other pit that I actually haven't mentioned uh, that this entire attack really heavily relied on was the element of surprise. Which, as we kind of mentioned, Turk was actually kind of aware that something was coming so they kind of didn't have it as much as they perhaps thought they did but they were at least hoping that they could get a lot closer before the turks realized what was going on and then they had to basically do the same advance whilst being shot at
1: and i'll also remind everybody from our last episodes Ataturk didn't care what he had to throw at a problem he did not give a shit about life and limb. <laughs> yeah,
0: again, the Ottomans so, lost a lot more, or had a lot more casualties than the um, than any of the Allied side, basically um, during this entire campaign. Um, so yeah, he was yeah, arguably worse in a, in, in some ways. Um, basically,
1: but, yeah. to this point, if you want it you better like go hard yeah. to come and get it. Cause I don't give yeah. a shit basically on the other Pretty
2: side.
0: As kind Just of a reminder. In, in other, yeah. And other episodes we've kind of mentioned, you know, the, the Ottomans were defending their home and that, that is a huge mental kind of, um,
1: is a huge extra
0: mental level, um, to that. If you think, you know, if you have that kind of idea that you're defending your home and that kind of stuff, um, so yeah, so Johnston ordered Malone to advance through the chaotic Otagos and head to Ronodendron Ridge. They reached a section called the Apex, which is about 300 metres below the ridge, and halted there at daybreak. For reference, the Wellingtons should have been within assaulting distance of Channock Bear two hours earlier. They are well behind schedule, and timing, as we have mentioned, is extremely important for this, uh, for this attack.
1: And not just a little bit behind, not a, oh, we'll be there in 10 type behind, like significant, oh shit, okay.
0: So Malone sent a message to Johnston informing him that he had stopped since it was now day and that he would secure his position and do some recon to ensure the best path forward. Things were now starting to turn to custard more so than they already had. Mm -hmm. The element of surprise had been lost due to the daylight the Otagos were scattered among the ridges, and the summit of Beer was occupied by Turkish scouts, who could be seen silhouetted against the rising sun. Still, the Wellingtons secured their position. The thing to note about the apex is this part of the, um, of, kind of, it, it's just below Chanak Beer has a very good line of sight onto this kind of region. Um... <sighs> So that they're looking at a very literally uh, uphill battle to try and get to Chunuk and so the Auckland Battalion then arrived along with a party of Gurkhas uh, who had had some navigation issues. Along with other commander, along with another commander by the name of Tempoli, Um who's going to kind of I think I'm not sure if we've talked about him yet, but he is going to come up again. So Tempily urged Malone to press on. But Malone argued that they needed to secure their current gains, especially as it was now day; they could no longer surprise the enemy. The Canterbury's had also had some navigation issues during the night, getting lost and doubling back to Anzac Cove, so they were well behind <laughs> as well.
1: Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Literally, was... like back to where we start. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. So they actually went the wrong way, I believe, and then had to go back to Anzac Fuck. Cove and start again. Yeah. So elsewhere in the left column, things were also turning bad. The Indians were now dug in below the, cre- below the crest of Hill Nine Seven One, and the Aussie attack on Hill Q had failed totally, as had the diversionary attacks on Baby Seven Hundred and from Quinn's Post and Pope's Hill. At Lone Pine, the Aussies were in a yeah. So at Lone Pine, the Aussies were in a fight for survival. North in Solver Bay, 20,000 men had landed safely, but had not yet advanced much past the beach. So Jesus!
1: In, not <laughs> oh moving. God.
0: At the okay. neck, just southwest of Baby 700, over 370 Aussie officers and men had been wounded or killed in four charges against the Turkish line. This was over half the men sent to the neck. What made this worse was that this attack was, meant to, this attack was meant to support the Kiwi attack on Chunuk Beer, an attack that hadn't even started yet. Uh, They've already oh. lost half their
1: men. Or more than half. Oh. Yeah. Okay.
0: It's going very badly.
1: Fuck. Okay.
0: At about 8am, Johnston turned up to Malone's position and had a chat with Tempoli. Tempoli was um, actually in, I believe... I think Johnston, uh Templey was in Johnston's kind of crew. You know, that Temple was his man, basically. Uh so he came up, uh so Johnston came up to have a chat with Templey, Malone, and Young, who was the commander of the Otagos, uh, while the exhausted men had a bit of a bit of a rest and a bit of a feed. They all agreed that an attack on Chunuk Beer was now out of the question, at least for now. At this point, Chunuk Beer had likely been reinforced with snipers and machine guns. Uh, which they'd already started receiving fire from, causing some casualties for them in terms of reinforcement, the Canterbury's were a long way off due to having to go back to Anzac Cove, and the 29th Indian and the 4th Australian Brigades just didn't seem to be anywhere, they had no idea where they were at this point as such, Johnston ordered them to wait until reinforcements arrived to secure their left and right flank, as an unsupported attack now would have failed that I would fail. So Temply sent this back to HQ. to let them know what they were doing, just to say, "Hey guys, maybe tell some of the other guys not to advance or whatever, because we're not going to because we think it's a really bad idea." The reply that they got from Godley was, quote, "Attack at once," end quote."
1: him and his human material like oh yeah. my god no 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 Yeah, this is so, going to be horrible
0: this is arguably I mean coming from my very armchair like uh, kind of general position here this is arguably one of the key de- decisions that it was made in this entire attack uh, this, uh, this decision to override Johnston's judgment and in fact, Tempoli apparently begged Johnston to disobey the order, um, saying that Johnston had a much better judgment of the situation since he was actually here and Godly would come to the same conclusion that he did had he been here.
1: I think we can be armchair generals because Godly's certainly being one right now. So I think, you know, all's fair at this point.
0: True. So... Timply is maybe literally on his knees, begging Johnston to disobey this order, because they, he knows that this is going to be a horrific slaughter if they do attack Chunuk Beer, which is literally an uphill battle in broad daylight, where basically the the Turks can already basically see them. Johnston refused to to. Disobey the order
1: damn it Well, no.
0: sorry somebody uh somebody else said quote all his traditions and training and innate loyalty were against it besides it was a heavy responsibility to take end quote so he just he just had an innate you know he, it was just deep in his right core he's just a
1: military man
0: yeah, you've been given an order, you follow it. But also when he says besides it was a heavy responsibility to, responsibility to take, um, I think what he was essentially meaning there is that Johnston was um not up to potentially be court martialed and right. executed, which is potentially what this would have resulted in had um had he done so. Godley could have had him arrested and killed.
1: Right, he's not taking the potential of actually falling on the yeah. sword. That's somebody else's job, you know?
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's... it's as, as much as I deplore this kind of action that he's done, it is hard to argue with that. Um, yeah, if that, you're
1: looking down the barrel of it, I get that. Yeah, 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 I, yeah, I under,
0: yeah, I understand that, yeah. So as this kind of discussion is going on, the Ottomans were being reinforced by Turks. Uh, division and the enemy fire grew heavier on the anzacs and at this point it's about 9 a.m god damn it and, and just so a now,
1: reminder yep. Autoturk goes hard in the paint guys this is gonna yep. be like i can't stress enough what what we're looking yeah. down the barrel of here literally
0: yep. so a new message now arrived from godly's hq the Auckland's and Gurkha's were, atta- were to attack at 10.30am with the support from naval guns and field artillery. However, recon showed that the area they would need to pass through would be so narrow that they would need to attack by by the platoon under heavy fire. Which is not very good at all. You know, it's basically that idea from 300 where he's like, you know, we've got this small little <laughs> bit that we can we attack can defend, and therefore that negates the large amount of soldiers that the Persians had. This is effectively the same thing, right? If you can't have loads of men all attacking at once, that becomes a bit of a problem. Your numbers don't really mean as much.
1: The bottleneck effect.
0: Yeah. So the Auckland Battalion commander recommended that the attack be delayed until nightfall to give his men a better chance. So again, we've got someone else saying Maybe we should wait. Johnston insisted that it be Ugh. conducted as per Godley's orders. The the brigade's machine gun officer, Captain Jesse Wallingford, then urged Johnston to delay the attack by just 30 minutes, so he could get his men into place to give the Auckland's some half-decent cover fire. Again, Johnston refused. The attack went ahead as scheduled, and it was a fucking massacre. Two Turkish battalions now defended the ridge, and they killed or wounded over 300 men in 10 minutes.
1: Holy fuck. Oh, my God. Oh, no, no, no.
0: What did the Anzacs gain for that 300 men that they lost in 10 minutes? 100 meters of ground. Which is not a lot at all.
1: God...
0: This was also similar to the Aussie slaughter at the Neck, which had, had was now had happened about five hours earlier. Apparently, Johnston cheered his, men on, cheered his men on until dragged into cover fire by his staff. The officer sent to take his place, being shot dead not long after that. It is possible that Johnston was drunk during this incident. Which fuck is something him. That I'll just I don't shoot him if,
1: myself. Like, yeah, he doesn't have to be court-martialed. Yeah, fuck. I don't oh. know
0: if i mentioned this, but something that I'll talk about a bit later when we kind of wrap things up with Johnston is that he was a drunkard. Um, He was potentially drunk for most of the campaign. Um, oh, which good. Which probably explains a lot of his decisions. Great.
1: Yeah. Like saying, we're just gonna go ahead and do it. Yeah. Oh, fuck. So, okay. this
0: attack... Okay. This attack effectively put the Auckland's out of commission. That is one quarter of the New Zealand infantry brigade effectively wiped. By now, the Otago and Canterbury battalions uh. had closed on the Wellington position and were ordered to proceed uh, to the apex. Instead of trickling his men in, the Canterbury commander, Lieutenant Colonel Hughes, basically just sent the whole fucking unit onto the spur that was fully exposed to Chunuk beer. Every Turkish gun in sight fired on the Canterbury's and, quote, within a few minutes, it had, it had effectively ceased to exist, end quote. Uh, it via being the Canterbury Battalion. Despite the fact that not only was it agreed that progress in daylight was impossible, and that this had now been effectively proven after almost two entire battalions had been wiped out, Johnston still insisted that Godley's orders be followed and that the Wellingtons, along with the remains of the Canterbury's, continue the assault. Malone, for his part, outright refused, saying it would be suicide. Again, it's already been proven that that was the case. A soldier by the name of Charlie Clark was near Malone when Johnston gave the order... Quote, stop where you are, Colonel Malone told us. He was very stern and strong-faced. Malone told the British commanders, no, we are not taking orders from you people. Wellington is not going up there. My men are not going to commit suicide. I will take all risk and any punishment. You will take Beer tonight, in the dark, not in daylight. These two Englishmen threatened to arrest Malone for insubordination. I reckon if they tried to arrest him, we would have shot them. Malone just ordered, Wellington Battalion, come back from the ridge. So we did. We were all grateful, and we thanked him. End quote.
1: Oh my god, fuck you, Thomas. You almost got tears. Oh! Oh! Oh.
0: So it's... Malone is starting to really push back against the British commanders. He is really... uh, This is... This is make or break, basically, and I, he, he realises it. Um, you know, so he's, he, he's not taking any chances. And, and again, I mean, it doesn't really take a fucking rocket scientist to know that it's a bad idea. Again, he's literally just seen or just heard of two entire battalions get wiped out because they tried to do virtually what he'd just been ordered to, to do as well. So he knew yeah. what was going to happen.
1: You don't have to be fucking Augustus Caesar to figure out that's not a good idea. Um, But also, just, like, good for him. He's done the thing that nobody else has, like, the nutsack and the story to do on the ground and be like, fuck you. If it's, like, me or my men, come and get me.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, So, for whatever reason, Johnston didn't arrest Malone. So instead, he <laughs> reported to Godley that the attack on Chunuk Bear had failed, recommending that further attack be delayed until nightfall. Godley finally, thank fuck, agreed. To this.
1: Thank along God. With,
0: yeah, along with some adjustments to the original plan. What this meant for the NZIB is that they would be reinforced by two inexperienced battalions: the Seventh Gloucestershire oh. and the Eighth Welsh Pioneers. Given the state of the other three battalions in the NZIB, the Wellingtons would be expected to lead the attack.
1: No! Oh, yep. okay. God. That night, the Kiwis buried
0: their dead as stretchers carried the injured downhill as Turkish machine guns fired near constantly. At 1am, Johnston, or- Johnston issued orders for the attack on Chunuk Beer. The attack would begin at 4.15am, Proceeded by 45 minutes of shelling The lead companies would leave The apex at 4am Meaning they had 15 minutes To reach the ridge before the covering Fire of the shelling stopped
1: Can we stop timing these Things so fucking close Yeah No, it's... Nope of course not Good great Because no. it's worked so fucking well so far
0: Yeah so Malone, prudent as ever, knew there would be heavy fighting that day and his men were low on water and ammo. So he asked for more from the he asked for more from the brigade HQ. A party was also sent to the beach to see what they could do. At 3:30 a.m., Malone woke his men and formed them up in the moonlight. Malone gave his Batman, which is like his kind of his second guy and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, He gave his Batman Ben Smart Ida's address to send a letter to in case he was killed and sent him on his way. Malone apparently turned to one soldier who he had butted heads with in Egypt, telling him, quote, before we go forward, I want you to know that I hold nothing against you over what happened in (coughs) Egypt. I like a man that tells me the truth. End quote.
1: To the rest of the men,
0: Malone added, quote, I do not think I shall survive the day but I feel my work is done for I command the best battalion that has left New Zealand.
1: End quote. Oh, Oh, piss off Thomas. That one got me. Oh, this guy, this guy. Yeah. Oh, I'm also prepping myself. This is going to get rough. This is there. As the
0: British Navy and Anzac artillery absolutely levelled the summit of Chunuk Bear, Malone's exhausted and rather gaunt men waited for the order to advance, possibly supported by Malone's calm demeanour. At 4am, the Wellingtons fixed bayonets and moved through the most frontal positions currently occupied by the Aucklands and onto a steep saddle that connected the apex to Chunuk Bear. Malone still wasn't sure where he would put the trenches once the ridge had been captured, either on the front or rear side. His advisers suggested doing both, and connected them, uh, connecting them via a tunnel in the middle. As they crested the hill that they were on, they expected to meet the same heavy fire that annihilated the Auckland's, but it never came and the men in front overran a small Turkish trench, and then moved over the top of Beer and down the other side. They found the Turkish position more or less deserted, and not a single shot was fired in its capture. They weren't sure if the Ottomans had fled due to the shelling, um, or had been pulled back by mistake, or it was some kind of trap. Whatever the case, the men got a small taste of victory, being able to see the opposite coast in the distance. Fuck.
1: Oh.
0: Interestingly, Hamilton could see the attack from his position in Anzac Cove and watched it as it commenced. At first, they weren't sure who, who the figures climbing over Charnak Beer belonged to, but as, it, you know, as the sun rose and it grew brighter, they realized that they were coming from the Anzac side and that the attack had been successful. It was now a tough choice for Malone. Should he follow his orders to hold the crest and attack the enemy's rear towards the south or dig in and hold his position? Malone assessed the situation and he knew that there would be Turk's incisable force somewhere nearby since they weren't mm-hmm. here and they were yesterday.
1: They're here for they're somewhere and yep. if it's a trap you don't want to okay. Exactly. We'll Clever. Okay. Plus, if he did push on, there was
0: no other battalion that could come in behind and secure Channock's beer. The Auckland's and Canterbury's were basically destroyed at this point, and the Otago's were being reorganized from the chaos that had occurred Uh, uh, the day before. And the Aussies and Indians, fuck knows where they were, they were still missing. Yeah, okay. Given all this, Malone decided to hold and dig in. Yeah. And this would actually be no easy task. The ground was rock, it was, you know, it was basically all rocks, and it was very, very hard, making it difficult to dig trenches. And the position was open to fire from both flanks, which was probably covered in a fog at this point, which is basically the only reason that they weren't being shot at at the moment. Malone decided to deploy two companies to man the main Turkish trench that they had captured, and the other two to dig a smaller trench on the seaward side, so the side that was facing uh I think towards Anzac, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, uh behind oh sorry, behind the crest to link the two via a tunnel. Yeah. Okay. So the first of the Gloucestershire's and the Welsh pioneers also arrived and were deployed to help them uh, help along with men to scout uh the area and provide warning of a Turkish advance if it came. Malone seemed to have known how precarious their position was and pushed his men to work hard. Quote Colonel Malone told everyone uh, Colonel Malone told everyone to dig and keep on at them, telling them that before nightfall they would want it, and he proved very correct. Even the officers dug with our small entrenching tools With everyone pitching in, it seems that they were all on the same page. Their survival would depend on their efforts in the next few hours. They may not have been explicitly aware, but one of the most savage infantry battles of the entirety of the Great War was about to begin. The Battle of Chunuk Beer. Oh! Uh, and that's where I think we should end it.
1: I just, I, I, keep, I keep looking for light at the end of this tunnel. And I know no, there isn't any. I know, I, yeah. know I know it's. I know it's not. I know. I know. It
0: is not coming. Uh, so when I say the worst bit is coming, uh, the Battle of Chunnik Beer is really what I meant more specifically. Um, it, it is. It is brutal, uh, the Battle of Chunnik Beer. It is just insane.
1: Think about that. Think about how fucking exhausted you already are. And now you've got to dig trenches for your life. You've got to dig a tunnel between them. Everybody's going crazy. How hard it is to dig! I don't know if anybody's dug a legitimate hole in their life, listening, but it's it's tough. Now imagine doing it the through other, the other thing, rocks.
0: Yeah, the other part of this is to kind of keep in mind that they're not just using like you know, you get a huge spade and it's you know, it's actually. Right. It can be reasonably straightforward. What they were using is these things that were um, small... It was like a small pickaxe with like a tiny shovel on the end. It's, it's not like very big. That can
1: fit in a, pat, like in attached a pack, like attach to a pack, yeah. so you can carry it.
0: Yeah, so it's a kind of... It's, it's like a one-handed, like one-and-a-half-handed type of tool, right? It's not very big at all. And you're expected to... You know, along with other, 50 other dudes or whatever, you're expected to build this trench. And again it seems very likely that at least Malone, if not literally everyone, because even the officers were doing it which is not something that they normally would do they seem to have been aware really what was was about to happen, that if they did a shit job, they were going to die and that was why, that was the reason why, so they knew that if they didn't dig this trench well, digging this trench could very much be the difference between whether they live or die and whether they hold this position
1: I think it's just good sense knowing what you faced in the previous days and that these guys again are not messing around. So if they are not immediately in sight, they are coming. Sooner yeah. or later. Like it's coming. Especially if oh Yeah, so especially the other if you of- don't have somebody immediately behind you. Shit's about to get rough.
0: Yeah, the other kind of part of this, um, the, the kind of other sad part of this, which is kind of jumping forward a little bit, we'll talk a little bit a bit more about it next time. This is arguably the the most criticized criticized decision that Malone makes um, in the future, not just by um, his contemporaries, um, but also by um, military historians in the next sort of 10 to 15, 20 years, as well as historians basically almost right up until... Um, kind of, I think it's like the 80s. Basically, mm-hmm. everyone criticizes him for this decision to build a trench and connect it with a tunnel. They think he should have, I can't quite remember, but they think he should have done something else. Um, and its it was only until, like, yeah, fairly recently that, um, that a historian basically came out and said, actually, this was actually a pretty good idea, and this was basically the only option he had. um so it's it's kind of the sadder part that this is one of the really key decisions that Malone makes um, that really tarnishes his name in the future and his family's name in the future. His family actually have a really tough time um, because his name gets really tarnished, um, kind of because of not just this decision but generally just how he conducts himself um, in this whole thing. He's be- uh, again, it's a bit of spoilers, but he effectively becomes the fall guy for the failure of this entire um, this entire offensive. Which, which is really unfortunate can... because he's the, he seems, you know, he's one of the only ones that seems to have actually been making any sense. Although as we did see earlier, you know, other guys were starting to be like, Holy shit. Like maybe we shouldn't attack a, a whole hill during <laughs> when it's full daylight, you know?
1: Right. Right. But, uh, I think again, spoilers for next time. We all know where I'm going to fall, <laughs> like fall on this. I'm going to defend this guy to like the ends of the earth. Not because I'm saying he's, He's the only one that gives a shit like these are not human th- these people aren't human fodder. this is not so much human material Again, see our previous episodes if you mm-hmm. want to know why I am so offended by that particular turn of phrase um yeah geez. it's it's
0: yeah i mean it's there's a lot of statistics you know I've been throwing around of like you know three hundred men dying or whatever, and that kind of stuff, and it's kind it is difficult to try to um conceptualize that in terms of anything other than just sheer bodies. Um but you know it's 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 a lot of people. It's a lot of people that um you know expected to come back. Um expected to go on an adventure, you know, do something fun for a while and then come back. Um and they got thrown into this thing basically because somebody thought that they were human material, as you say.
1: It was ten minutes, correct?
0: Ten minutes. They lost over three hundred men in ten minutes. So, to like, kind and of it's that... just,
1: but whole battalions. It's it's hard to imagine, too. Just like, mm-hmm. oh, the number of bodies dropped. It just yeah, that's, a,
0: that's the mind. The, the kind of the kind of thing that, like, for people that um, you know find this difficult to kind of conceptualize and kind of visualize. Is um you know three hundred is roughly probably like your average lecture theatre um you know like decently sized lecture theatre, um you know most I'd say most people you know most people would know what that kind of looks like or probably like a Mm -hmm. um like a a stage theatre you know you go watch like Swan Lake or some shit um you know that's probably roughly about three hundred people yeah imagine imagine that that amount of people bam gone ten minutes you know it's it's a lot of people and not a lot amount of time. And again, the, the the other aspect of course of this is, um, the kind of age range we're talking here is probably anywhere between kind of 18 to probably 25 ish. Yeah. Is probably the majority of what these people were. So, we, I mean, I'm only 26. That's younger than me.
1: We've established like, again, Malone's the, the old guy here. He's the really significantly yeah, um, old guy convinced. on the block and he's not an old guy. You know, so in today's terms, he's not an old guy. So that is so hard to wrap your head around. I just it boggles the mind. And again, everybody knows I am far from a military historian. usually I sweep over this in general terms. So it's just like such a. Ooh, this is rough to actually mm-hmm. look at it, look in the face of it and, and see the cost. in, like you said, an actual theater of people in 10 minutes. Yeah. But I'm really glad um, you established in the previous episodes just that this is not the Ottomans that they really thought they were going to face because... Mm yeah like it's uh if you want it come and get it kind of thing like you, yeah, you better be fucking prepared
0: it's one of the interesting things that i didn't really look into was they're getting all this recon saying the ottomans are low morale low ammo they're deserting constantly and all that kind of stuff and of course that just seems to be entirely not true or if it is yeah. it does not seem to be slowing them down so and i think one of the interesting things that um uh you know, if I was going to do this again, or if I look into it in the future would be, why were they getting all these reports that, um, you know, that all these things were happening? And that basically they, the, the Ottomans were on the cusp of breaking when <laughs> clearly that was just absolutely not the case. Um, Thomas,
1: the exact question that has haunted me since we hmm. began this and something that, I mean, to find out, because I really want to know where this... Is it just an assumption? I mean, did we Mm. even bother? Was there any attempt at true intel here? You know what I'm saying? Because there does not seem to be, because... They seem to be set up on the other side of the river, you know, Aowin style Lord of the Rings. Like, if you want it, come and claim it. You know, like, ugh, mm. oh, they are rocking and ready to go. Yeah, and don't so care just... about loss of life. It's
0: not yeah. not
1: in the, not that the allies particularly do either, as you've just seen. But I mean, particularly the, the, the scale
0: of the Ottomans was just so ugh. much more. You know, for every man that the that the Allies um lost, you know, the Ottomans were learning, losing ten or more. Um
1: and yet and just and, and yet it keep still coming. Slow that
0: down. Just yeah, no to stop them. Um that, that again, I didn't look at the Ottoman side all that much. Um so that could just be possibly because of course the Ottomans had their supply lines open. Um, you know, in theory, they could just march all the way back to Constantinople or march back to Istanbul and get more soldiers. You know, that was a possibility for them. So it could have just been that they were actually just being reinforced. Um, whereas, that of course, it was much it. harder for the um, for the allies to do that. Um, so that could be it. Is that just the fact that um,
1: Supply, yeah, they were losing train of in men. all yeah. sectors: food, yeah, water, they, and men. Like, keep it yeah. coming.
0: Yeah. It's just yeah, I think maybe it's just they had a a, an easier time of supplying themselves in general, really. Um, But also the way you
1: tell this story, and I, you know, we're we're gonna end up finishing it with this next one, but I just want to, you know, reiterate as we've gone through this story, we really do when we read this stuff, we think of it as oh, it's this event on a page, but as we can see, this is months and months of yeah horror absolute horror i have cried thus far i have just in my soul like i feel despair and again i know this has no happy ending i know that i know nothing not really
0: unfortunately no this actually yeah it obviously ends pretty badly um and, it's,
1: and no major gains uh, like this. Nothing no. good is going to happen just so everybody like nobody's going to have this harrowing turnaround at the end. This no, is there's body no, count. There's
0: no, um, there's no part of this where Malone like, you know, runs out, pulls out two pistols and just like kills a bunch of guys and like saves the day or whatever, you know, like right. that's not what's going to happen. It's, it's just it becomes a. Uh, 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 basically, yeah. I mean, New Zealand and Australia, in particular, uh, our worst military disaster in history. Um, you know, it's born through no faults of
1: your own. How exciting! Great. Yeah. And again, I, I I've talked
0: about this in previous episodes, but this is really the time where Australia and New Zealand go. You know what? Actually, Britain's not that great. You know, this is. I mean, there are other aspects that contribute to that, but this is really one of the big, really big, and really famous ones. Um
2: but, The kind of other yeah. the other
0: thing to kind of note about this as well is you say you know it's a months long thing. This this um this attack takes place in August. The mm-hmm. full uh, spoilers, but th- there's a full evacuation that doesn't occur until October. So they're still there yeah. for uh, at least another what month or or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh. Even more, a couple of months. Yeah, so, you know, they're still they're still there for a, a you know a wee while longer. Yes, before it, even after this.
1: Yeah, because we're like mid August, right?
0: We're about mid August. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, about so August.
1: we've got a month, and I'm going to assume it's yeah, so it, we like so mid October, so or mid to early October. So like a month and a half or more.
2: Yeah.
0: So the, the Wellingtons were relieved of, from Quinns at about the 5th of August. Um, so it was about then. So, we're, yeah, we're about early to mid-August um, for this battle.
1: Oh, oh, my God. Not to mention, and everybody's going to remember everything they've gone through thus mm. far. And it's about to get, like, hard and heavy. It's about to get, yep. is if it wasn't real enough, it's going to get very real. So that being said, man, Thomas, can you spin a yarn, sir?
0: Thanks. i trauma try my best.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so humble. Um, no, really. It's been absolutely great. It's been just fantastic, man. Go ahead and one, guys, This the last one's coming up. So we're going to have Thomas plug again everywhere. We find follow and uh patreon you know all that jazz yeah. you know the song and dance by now
0: yeah so uh if you do want to follow me for stuff that's well, it's not quite like this uh we, we're more doing um Stuff that happens way before this. But if you want to learn more about the history of New Zealand, um, the history of Aotearoa New Zealand, you can find me at that, the history of Aotearoa New Zealand podcast, um, on all your normal podcast things. Um, you can also find me on Twitter, at History Aotearoa. You can also find me on Facebook, History Aotearoa New Zealand podcast. You can also find me on Instagram, History of Aotearoa New Zealand podcast. Um, and Patreon, History of Aotearoa New Zealand podcast. I'll say it one more time. History of Aotearoa New Zealand podcast. Aotearoa spelt A-O-T-E-A-R-O-A. So I can be found on any of those things. uh, If you want to uh, listen to me or follow me or ask me questions or anything like that, um, that's a way to get a hold of me.
1: My God, stuck it like an Eastern European, you know, gymnast. I've said it a couple (laughs) of times, but damn. That's all 10s from the judges' table right there. Kara, do you have anything you would like to add? No. So then again, <laughs> guys, you know where <laughs> you know where to find and follow the show. If you are listening to this at this point, you know. You can find us, follow us, yada, yada. Same with Thomas. Anywhere that you listen to podcasts, it's going to be at Body Count Pod. On both Instagram and Twitter. And then you can follow Kara at Kara on Twitter and Kara on Instagram and find and follow me at Jessica B. Manor on Instagram and Twitter. Again, nothing new. So, Thomas, as always, man, it's been fantastic. I'm really blown away by the work you have done far and away uh, i love all our guests but shit you brought it i mean just you've made me laugh you've made me cry you've made me talk about a grown man digging you know latrines over and over again and still crying um Mm. so it's it's been quite a few up and downs Uh, i'm really excited but not excited, if that makes sense. Yeah. To get to
0: it's mostly the last part.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, it's gonna be a lot of downs. Uh oh, 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 lot of downs. So I'm excited, mm. but not excited. That being said, we'll of course be back at you, at you guys for the finish. And I'm not excited, but excited, like I said. Big finale. Yeah. Gonna be. Going to be interesting, going to be rough. You're going to hear me cry. I've already cried. So buckle up, guys, and we will be back at you next week.